If you've been with us before, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. We had dedicated this entire year for me to preach Jesus every single Sunday. And we didn't know that COVID-19 was going to come along. That was going to be a part of it. But again, I can't think of a more appropriate focus for this year and especially this season than being in the life of Jesus and understanding his mission and his ministry and who he's calling us to be. And so for many of us, we're using these Luke scripture journals. And if you have that, I want you to turn to page, I believe it's going to be 84 today. And if not, open your Bible or open your app. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. And we're going to look at Luke's version, how he records what we famously know as the Lord's Prayer. And together we're going to walk through this. And again, I want to say this. We didn't have a grand plan that this was going to fall on today's for today's message. But I can't think of a better place considering the events in our world and the events in our country and the events going on right in your home than to look at this prayer this morning. And if you follow along, there's an incredible blessing and in understanding when we come to understand what God's inviting us into in this prayer that I believe you will find great value in, especially in the current situations that we face. And so Luke chapter 84, I want you to have something that you can write with or be ready to highlight into your app because I'm going to give you some ways that you can work through this together and you can be a part of this and you can experience this prayer perhaps in a more rich way than you have before. So Luke chapter 11. Now we're just going to walk through it. Be ready to take some notes. Be ready to circle some things. But here's how Luke chapter 11 starts this way. It goes to this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, let's pause just for a second. Remember what the disciples have seen Jesus do in Luke up to this point. They have seen him heal the sick. They have seen him calm stormy seas and, and speak to the wind and the rain and have them cease. They've seen him take some bread and some fish and multiply those resources in such a way to feed thousands of people. And they've seen him raise people from the dead. And yet there's something about when they see Jesus praying that they don't ask to learn any of those other things. Now, because that's what I would ask to learn. Hey, can you teach me how to raise somebody from the dead? Can you teach me how to multiply food stores? I would like to learn that. That's a skill that would be helpful. There's something so compelling that when they see Jesus pray, something so striking about it, that when they get up the courage to ask him, that's what they ask. Teach us to pray. Now, isn't that an incredible request? Teach us to pray. Because most of them say, well, prayer is just, it's just talking. It's just, you're just talking to God and that's all you've got to do. And yet Jesus doesn't respond that way. He teaches them. He takes the opportunity and begins to walk them through. Here's how he begins. And he said to them, and once again, he takes the time to teach them. And we said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Again, I told you we're going to take this in pieces. And so here's the first word that we've got to stop down on. If you've got your scripture journal or you've got your Bible open, you've got your app open, I want you to circle, circle, circle the word Father, or I want you to highlight it in your app because that has become very familiar language 
to you and me, to any one of us living now. But understand, we're living as the people that have inherited this language for a long time. That was not how most of the Jewish people, these disciples that were gathered around him, responded to God. They responded to him completely differently. Now, it wasn't a completely unknown word to them. But if you look back in the Old Testament, God being referred to as father occurs only about a dozen, about 14 times in that testament. Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels alone, will refer to father over 200 times. And so this is in many ways rewriting what they thought about God. It's changing who they thought God was. And suddenly God is not far and distant and removed, but he says, Father. And he brings them in close. And suddenly this is a relationship changer. This is, this is a game changer for them. This is one that's becoming where God no longer stands at, at a distance, but comes in. Now, I know that this is not a neutral word for many. And for some, when you think of a father, you don't think good thoughts. Because for whatever reason, your father, your earthly father was not a good father. But the only reason that we would have an earthly father to compare to, the only reason that we could say that wasn't a good father is because that person, whoever he was in your life, fell far short of what God's invitation to father. And so when he tells this to these disciples, he says, you start by saying, God, your heavenly father. And suddenly that changes who God is for them. And he's not far off and he's not removed, but he's very present with them. And I bet their jaws hit the ground that they can invite him that close. I'm going to share a picture with you. And I love, I love this picture. It comes from John F. Kennedy's presidency. And this is a very iconic picture. We're going to put it up here. Here is John F. Kennedy sitting at the very famous resolute desk in the Oval Office. And below him, playing through an open panel in it, is John Jr. And what I love about this picture is... John is playing, and this is before several of the tragedies, obviously, that befell the Kennedy family. But at this moment, he's playing carefree at the feet of his father. He is completely unaware that his father is the most powerful man in the free world. And he in no way feels like he has any lack of access to him. In fact, this is one of the most secure rooms that you can get, even find your place into in the entire world. And here, a child of the Father is able to be there very comfortably and welcomed. And I want this to be the image as we go through the rest of the prayer, because Jesus says, Father. And suddenly, it's not just that you have a relationship with somebody as powerful as the President of the United States. You have a relationship with the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords, and it should be as comfortable as playing at his feet as a small child. And that's what God invites us into. And when Jesus shares this with his disciples, it was startling news to them. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, when you pray, say, Father. And then he goes on. Saying, hallowed be your name. Father, hallowed be your name. Now let's talk about that word hallowed. Hallowed is a, is a word for holy. 
is a word for set apart, is for to make it sacred and to give it, to venerate it or to worship it. And so, Father, and then he invites us into this posture of hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Now, understand, Jesus isn't teaching us to pray this way because because God needs to be reminded who he is. In fact, it's easy to get caught up thinking, well, God's on some kind of ego trip because he's invited us in. What God needs to hear from us is all the, the praise and worship first. That's not what God's doing. God wants to be in relationship. And so what we do is it's an invitation for us to cry out, you are the holy God. You are the one. It's not reminding God who is, it's reminding us who he is. And we are able to posture ourselves that way and never forget that as we're invited into the presence of the king and the kings, we're being invited to one that is holy and that is righteous and we're giving him the glory and know that he desires relationship with us. And so it positions us. And that's what Jesus is teaching us to do in this prayer, position us to understand how we are in relationship with this incredible one that invites us to call him Father. Hallowed be your name, Jesus goes on. Your kingdom come. So once again, he's teaching us a certain posture and certain things to remember at this moment. Your kingdom come. Now again, if you're circling, you're highlighting, I want you to highlight the word your. I want you to circle that one. Because let's talk about what a kingdom is. A kingdom has a king. And anywhere that the king has a kingdom is anywhere that the king's will, the king's desires, the king's vision is carried out. Where anywhere his hour, his power is, is absolute. And so we have all kinds of kingdoms. You know, some of you may have a kingdom in the back seat of the car. I had some brothers when I traveled along. And when we load up for a car trip, we had this crazy thing. I know I'm, we're probably the only ones that ever did this. And I know you never behaved this way. But we actually drove, it drove, as we rode in the back seat, we drew imaginary lines on the seat and says, this is my area, stay out. And we were declaring what? We were declaring our kingdom. Now, we learned quickly that the car didn't belong to us. It belonged to mom and dad. And this was their kingdom. And they got absolute authority. But the idea that there was this space that we could declare this is ours. So what's Jesus inviting us to do? Your kingdom come. He's invited us to pause for a moment and remember how often do I try to put my kingdom first. My will, my desires, my plans, my intents, my value, my priority system first. And Jesus is totally rearranging that. And even though I've got a kingdom in front of me that's so tangible that I can see, he's calling me to remember the kingdom above me and live into that kingdom, the one where God the Father has rule, has authority, and then we get invited to be a part of that. And so there's a simple transition that we can make, not my kingdom, but thy kingdom. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom, Heavenly Father. Not my will, but yours. This is a theme of Jesus' entire life and ministry, right up to the garden where he prays the prayer in the garden that we talked about last week. 
not my will as he goes to the cross, but your will. And he completes that mission. And he completes that. Your kingdom come. And he goes on with his prayer. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, I'm going to be honest. This verse right here, which is very familiar, and some of you probably even have it as magnets on your refrigerator. You've got it framed up in your house somewhere. This is a very familiar part of the prayer. This has changed meaning for me personally over the events of the last several weeks. Because most of us, and even most of us right now, still are not living in a deal where we're worried about where the daily bread's going to come from. Where's my meal, my next meal going to come from? I mean, we, we've got food in the pantry. There are restaurants still open. Uh, I know that I'm not worried about, am I going to eat today? But for some, this has taken on a new meaning, hasn't it? And for some, there is stress on where is the food going to come from? And where is the meal going to come from? And if you went to a grocery store early in this time, you saw the chaos or the stress or the anxiety that just permeated the whole store as we began to fight over silly stuff like even toilet paper. And suddenly we're clearing the shelves of things that you're wondering, why is the shelf being emptied of that? And then you get caught up in the moment. I, I'll confess, I even felt this too as I would go shopping, trying to remain calm. But suddenly you feel like, if I don't get mine, there's not going to be enough there. What Jesus does with this verse is he reminds the disciples, because they would have all thought about this image in their head. He reminds the disciples of what it was like years and generations ago in the wilderness when Moses was leading the people. And they all would have remembered the story that as Moses led the people from slaves in Egypt towards the promised land, in between, on the travels, they were in the wilderness. They began to wonder about where their next meal was going to come from. They had no resource. They had no food. Where's the next meal going to come from? And Moses prays and God delivers what you may know as manna from heaven. You may have heard that phrase. It was basically bread delivered to them every morning on the ground when they woke up. It was just available for them. And they had some very unique instructions. Take only what you need for that day. And if they were to keep anything else, if they were trying to hoard anything else, then it would turn rancid overnight. And so the invitation was, receive the bread for today. And so Jesus, tying into that, reminds disciples, reminds us, the whole endeavor is about trust. The whole endeavor is about knowing where God's going to provide and knowing who's going to provide. And in the end, though I want all the power in my kingdom and in my hands, the message is God's got this. God's in control. And he hasn't left us and he hasn't abandoned us. Now, for many of us, this still isn't a reality where I'm dependent on God for my daily bread today. So what I want you to know about this is throughout the entire prayer, notice that there is no my there's no I, there's no me. There's always an us or an our. Give us this day. And so the invitation here is that as we pray this prayer, we're not praying it just for myself and my household, my family, my needs. 
we're praying it as the body of Christ for all those, for all the children of God, for all those around the world, and now for those that perhaps are next door to us or in our community or in our church that are struggling with this. And we're praying a prayer on their behalf. And collectively, as we pray this prayer, we're sending a petition to God that he'd be providing for all of his children. And so as you participate in this prayer, as, as this becomes part of your prayer life, no, you're not praying just for you and not just for your immediate thing. Because remember, that's just your kingdom. But you're praying for God's kingdom and that his would be known and his name would be revealed and all that. And that his power and presence and ministry and providence would be experienced throughout. Give us this day our daily bread. The next line is this. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, I need to talk about this one very clearly for a moment, because some people that have experienced this prayer, as you learn about it, you think the takeaway is from the first line, and forgive us our sins. And the, the takeaway that some people assume is true is that if I'm not asking every single day for God to forgive me, then I'm not covering all my sins and he's going to catch me on ones that I didn't ask for forgiveness for. That is not what God is communicating here. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. This simply serves as reminders for those that have given their life to Jesus, for those that are baptized into his name, for those that have been cleansed by his blood, you now wear his righteousness and God is the one that has granted that forgiveness to you. This is not you're recharging the forgiveness because what Jesus is not focused on, but what we become focused on is that first line. He's calling us to the next line. He's setting up for, remember, you are forgiven. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what Romans 8 tells us. And, to G and Jesus in this prayer is reminding us of that fact that before God, grace has forgiven you. And now, because it's his kingdom that we live out, it's the second line that we focus on. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now there's the challenge. You have been forgiven, so now how will you extend forgiveness? And it's a simple reminder, I've been forgiven. I, I stand as a forgiven person in the presence of God. Now the call is, what will I do about it? Now the call is, who will I extend forgiveness to? And so many of us, you've got a hurt and a wound that may be decades old. And it's someone that wounded you, they betrayed you, they cut you to the quick, and there's for, there needs to be forgiveness there. And it's so tempting, it's so easy, easy to nurse a bitterness, isn't it? It's so, so simple just to keep that, that pain alive and to be so angry about it and to carry it with us, but it really becomes a burden. And what Jesus is inviting you to do is to lay that down. And the path to laying that down is forgiveness. And I'm not suggesting that it's easy. And I'm not suggesting that it's simple. But I am suggesting if you're to live into this prayer, 
If you're to experience all that Jesus wants to have as prayer, then we've got to be willing to forgive those that are indebted to us. And isn't that a powerful word? That when there's a wound there, when there's a, a wrongdoing there, it's like a debt. They owe me something. And Jesus is saying, there's never ever going to be a way they can pay that back. They, they can't go back and give you that first marriage again. They can't, they can't um, repay financially enough that was lost. Take back the sting of those words that were said in a heated moment. They can't take back that betrayal that they committed. The only way forward is forgiveness. And that's what Jesus invites us into. As God has forgiven you, he's inviting you to this prayer life where you're learning day by day by day, just as he delivers bread daily, day by day to forgive others. Next line. And lead us not into temptation. Now this sounds like a funny one, doesn't it? Because you're wondering why God would be leading us in, in temptation. This is, again, this is for our posture. This is for our remembrance that I want to be following where God's pointing me. I want to be making the difficult right choice, not the easy wrong choice. And when you're praying this every day, there's a sense of accountability. There's a sense of being drawn into it that says, I'm aware of my temptations. And isn't this true? I, aren't most of us aware of the things that are going to tempt us today? Very few of us wake up being caught off guard by what's going to tempt us in that day. Now, the sources of it may come surprised, but we know our weak spots. And Jesus is helping to remind us, is, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're seeking Him and you're leaning on Him. And so your, your petition is not, God, I think you're going to try to mess me up and I think you're going to try to tempt me sometime today, so please don't do that. The, the invitation is, God, I know what my temptations are. Help lead me in another direction because I'll pursue them on my own. When it's about my kingdom, I'll chase my temptations. But when it's about your kingdom, I'll follow in another direction. Next phrase of it says this. And then he gets to the end of the prayer and he says, And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you the truth, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What Jesus does is he shifts from teaching a prayer, teaching how to pray to why pray and what the motive is behind prayer. And so he gives this analogy, this word picture that anybody hearing Jesus for the first time would have recognized. Because the practice was intense hospitality. That was the name of the game in the day. That, that is how you lived all these customs out was by this intense hospitality. And so the unstated rule was that if you had guests show up, you provided for them. There was not near as many hotels and, and motels and places for people to stay. You stayed at the at family and friends and acquaintances. And so somebody had traveled from a long way and they knock on your door and it's late at night and they're there and they need shelter. 
It was on you to provide shelter and provide a meal and take care of their needs. And that was not only the custom norm, it was the expectation to not would have been some kind of violation. And so on the night when you get surprised by these visitors or they arrive later than you expected, then this person has to run to their next door neighbor and they're banging on the door late at night. And it's kind of funny because inside he says, says, why are you waking me up? And most of us can relate to that. Who wants to be woken up by banging on the front door? And then not only was it just him, but it would have been his entire family because they would have all been sleeping in the same room. Remember, these are very modest houses by our definition today. They would have been all in the same room. So the entire family is being woken up. And what Jesus says is, he says that that friend is going to respond not because he's your friend, because of your boldness in the asking, because you're willing to go before him and ask. He's going to get up and he's going to respond. And that is our invitation to be bold before God when we go before him. That, that to stand and knock and pound and cry out to him. So it's not simply a, I don't want to bother God with this. Or I, I don't want to ask too many times about this. But to cry out to him and give that emotion to it that he's inviting us into. Look how he continues. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Then he finishes this way. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? What he's doing is he's saying, saying that the God, God is your father and you're knocking and he's going to be responsive. And then we have this famous verse that anybody that seeks will find. Anybody that knocks, it will be answered to. In fact, can we put that one back up? Let me go back to that one real quick. I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is another passage that most of you probably have on somewhere on your refrigerator or in your house. It's a very familiar one. Let me tell you, though, what Jesus is doing with this. He's not saying whatever prayer you have, you do this and it will be granted to you. He's saying when you pray the prayer that he just taught you to pray, when you're praying for his kingdom, not your own kingdom, his will be done. He will answer it because he knows how to give good gifts. And so he changes metaphors on us right in midstream. He goes from the neighbor being woke up at night in his response to being, once again, the good father. So he bookends this whole teaching on prayer with God as our father. And he changes back to the good father. And he says, don't you know that a good father knows how to give the gifts? Don't you know that a good father knows exactly how to provide for his family? And he's not going to mess up a gift given to you. Now, anybody that's been a parent knows this. When our kids are young, they ask for some crazy things. They ask for some outlandish things. And as a good parent, it would not be appropriate for me to give in to every single request that they have. Because it would be nothing but Slurpees and Dr. Peppers forever in my house. That's all that my kids would be eating. And so as a good father, 
the call for God is that he's not going to just simply grant every single request, but he's going to grant those that are actually good gifts. And that's what he wants to provide. And that's who God invites us in. And that's the prayer that Jesus invites us to experience with him. Because see, here's the thing about this prayer. This is not simply a prayer to be recited, but it's a prayer to be lived into. In fact, here's the takeaway from it. But to revealed in our lives, not simply recited, but revealed in our lives, meaning that God's inviting us to live a certain way because of this. He's invited us to remember that he's our father. He's invited us to remember that his name is holy and wants to be revealed, not just to you, but to the entire world, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family, and be revealed in that. He's invited us to remember that it's his kingdom that we serve. He's, he's calling us to trust him for the daily bread that we receive. He's calling us to be confident in the forgiveness that we've received and challenging us and inviting us, calling us to forgive others around us. And this is difficult to live out, isn't it? It's, it's a lot easier to simply say the prayer. And we begin by saying the prayer, but it cannot simply be something that's recited. It must be something that's then revealed and lived into in our lives. Begin by saying it because that positions us in the right posture to then live it out. But the invitation is to live it out and trust in him for all that he provides. Once again, remember, you're not simply the child of a president playing at the president's feet under the desk. We are invited to call the Lord of Lords our Heavenly Father. You're a child of the King. And that's way better than being the child of any president. And that's what God invites us into.